Something's changed over the past four years, but it's not me. Personality cults are not conservative. Conspiracy theories are not conservative. Lying about stolen elections is not conservative. Treating politics like a religion, not conservative. The words of Senator Ben Sass. And this is the Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at where our republic stands as we head into another impeachment trial. We'll talk about polling, and then we're going to wrap with our hot takes and our guardian of the week. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Patrick, how does the republic look to you this week? I think okay, but not not great. Uh, we are seeing that there really isn't a lot of um, room for bipartisanship uh, right now, and uh, probably we never will be. We'll talk a little bit more of that in depth uh, in a little bit. Uh, but I think when we look at what's going on in the White House and reestablishing norms of behavior there, uh, there's no question that you know Joe Biden and his administration are at least doing their part. Yeah, you know, I had a, a interesting moment last night. I, uh, Max Boot, who is is a friend of mine, um, he wrote this article saying that watching Biden speak at the State Department was like one of the great moments of his adult life, something to that effect. And so I went to uh, MSNBC last night and CNN, and I was like, "Hey, I want to see the Biden business. I want to see him speak at the State Department." Well, you know what? In all of the hours of TV that I watched last night, not one mention, not one clip of Joe Biden speaking at the State Department for our nation, talking about how our country is going to move forward after the four years of Donald Trump. That, to me, was outrageous. I want to speak about what Biden spoke about briefly, but first, I want to hear your take just on that, that that we were talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene last night, and then after that, we talked about Marjorie Taylor Greene, and then we discussed Marjorie Taylor Greene. What do you think about what I just said? Yeah, this is one of the reasons why uh, you need to follow um, news sources from outside the U.S. You need to watch the BBC. You need to watch, you know, read uh, 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 the the Guardian and the or even the Independent, whatever your political indicate you know inclinations are. We had a major policy shift from the past four years on Thursday, major, and you know just just a just a one eighty U turn on our foreign policy. Let's see. That's a huge, huge change in what the American government's going to do, how we're going to put our foot forward in the world. Uh, and yes, and it was wall to wall coverage of this kook from Georgia. Kook from Georgia is very kind. Biden spoke at the State Department. You know what he said? He said that diplomacy is back. He said to Russia, your free ride is over. I talked about it on this show. We were talking back before we decided who the Democrat, we didn't decide, but before it was decided who the Democratic representative was going to be um, for the presidency. And what I said, remember, when we were talking about Bloomberg, was I said, I need somebody who's going to be the first person to look Vladimir Putin in the eye after Donald Trump and say, yeah, you don't get to do this anymore. Putin, well, you know what he did last night? That at the State Department. As he mumbled and as he fumbled and as he <laughs> needed a drink of water because he still struggles in his presentation skills. And that's just something that we're going to deal with. But he's doing things. 
He said the troops are not going to be withdrawn from Germany. He said that America, he closed with this thought, America can no longer be absent on the world stage. Well, I'll tell you this, as important as everything else that's happening in this country, the $1.9 trillion um, COVID-19 bill that he's going to push through, it seems, right? Equally important is how the planet is going to move forward. And getting Donald Trump out of office and putting Joe Biden into the office brings back a sense of normalcy in this on the planet, in the world, and not a mention, not a, not a, not a clip. I couldn't believe it. I, and it's not about that. It doesn't matter. It is what it is. And the media is trying to, you know, I think, I think the media is going to struggle for the next little while because people aren't desperate to watch to see is Trump going to blow our world up, which is a positive. But they really should be doing in this moment. I'm just being critical in this one moment. They should be doing a better job of what's really important. Not saying Marjorie Taylor Greene isn't important. But Joe Biden speaking at the State Department about where we stand in the world is crucial, critical to be leading the news newscast, period. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what we saw with uh, Green was, you know, more more of the same. This is just another, you know, another episode in the story of, of our partisan dysfunction here. What we got from Biden was real news. True yeah. news in, in, in the dictionary defi definition sense of that word. And and the media just is is not covering it is f failing because on that on that note, they failed yeah. on yeah. that. Yeah. Note, and, well, well, and I have some more examples of where I think they're failing, too. But we'll talk about that in, the, in hot takes. But, yeah, I think that that makes it problematic because there seems to not be a recognition uh, from the media as an industry. Uh, that, you know, what their real role is. They talk about themselves as the fourth estate, an important part of, of democracy. D you know, democracy dies in darkness, th those kinds of things. Yet we have, we are been in a situation where we're suffering. Uh, our, our Republic is suffering and you have a job to do. And their job was, okay, let's just go back to the old normal. Um, you know, uh, what's, what's the most clickable news item what's the one that's going to draw the most eyes uh, in terms of uh, a car crash yeah that's true I, i'm just looking because you said that i went to the front page of the new york times and at the top uh, in the big spot is biden signals break with trump foreign policy in a wide-ranging state department speech so and and i don't think we need to take the media to task completely this is just a targeted we're, we're being targeted on this point and it's 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 I think they're missing something in that, at least speaking for myself, I'm hungry for that news. Yeah. But well, one of the things is I, 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 he had, he had to turn off uh, the cable news. I mean, that really Maybe, is what it yeah. boils down to. Maybe is yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, no, maybe it's yeah. time. I mean, it, yeah. you know, for four years, you know, I didn't watch many movies. Shit's Creek, we watched. Shit's Creek, we watched because of your recommendation. Thank you very much. And if you haven't yet watched Shit's Creek, get to it. Um, but largely, it was, yeah, I got to see what what the, what the what the reality show is doing today that's really, really real. Anyway, let's move on now to the bipartisanship question. Uh, you were quoted in a political um, article this week. Uh, and this is what you said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you. If he gets Republican support for what appears to be a big package and he moves them in his direction, that's a big win, says pollster Patrick. If he doesn't get Republican support, he needs to go big or go home. Where do you think that stands? Right. So I'm talking about Joe Biden here and the covid relief plan. And so 
I think Joe Biden is is making all the right moves. Yeah. Um, he's saying, you know, I, I'd love to have bipartisanship. And that's what he's been talking about all along. Remember, our worry was that his 40 years in Washington and his memories of how it used to be in, in Washington in the 70s and 80s would um, basically overtake or, 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 or rank superior in his mind to the reality of what Washington the reality. is today. Yeah. Um, so he meets, he meets with those 10 GOP senators. Uh, mm-hmm. There was some talk. Um, I, a reporter overheard, I think it was Murkowski and Collins, the next day in the hallways of the Senate office buildings talking about how it didn't seem that, that Biden wanted to end the, the meeting. He wanted to keep talking <laughs> with them. No surprise. Yeah, right. No surprise. But, but then he comes out and basically says, okay, well, if, if you know, this is the, this is the deal. Um, come along to take it or not, or, or not. I mean, uh, he's, uh, you know, basically I'll, I'll, I'll work with you on some issues around the edges, but the, but the crux of the idea is the crux of the, of the plan. And this is the lesson that they learned from 2009 with the, um, economic relief package back then, the stimulus bill, uh, back then was that, you know, they kept, you know, creeping and crawling and, and scratching for bipartisan support. Over a period of months, they didn't get it and finally had to pass what ended up being the reduced bill that they were hoping they would get Republican support for without Republican support. So Republicans won two ways. One, that got the stimulus cut. Two, they didn't have to cast a single damn vote in support of it. So they could also run against it. So what we're seeing right now is with the way this COVID bill is moving through is that the Biden uh, team seems to have learned that lesson, is that if we're not going to get Republican support, we're not going to cut, cut a damn bit of this. And this is why I said, if he gets Republican support and it looks like he's moving them in his direction, then that's a that's a win-win for him, right? Yep. But if he doesn't get that Republican support, he can't do what Obama did because what happened is Obama got the stimulus package planned and it was a, it was a decent-sized package, but it wasn't big enough. So he got no credit for actually moving things along. And we're so at it was a lose-lose for him. And we're at 68% approval in the country for this COVID relief bill. I would not be, I mean, maybe no Republican is going to back it, but the reality is it's going to help. The $1.9 trillion bill is going to help state and local officials around the country. They are desperate for it because they have, de- they're running deficits like they've never seen before. I sound like the former president when I say that. Um, but but what, what's also kind of cool is Murkowski, Collins came, comes out of that meeting, that meeting with the 10 Republican senators. And it's no surprise that Biden doesn't want to stop talking. He loves to talk. And now he gets to talk as much as he wants for the rest of his life. Um, but what she said was she said it appeared to her that Joe Biden actually wanted to figure something out, but that his staff um, did really was like Klain was opposed to kind of every idea that the Republicans had. It's actually working out, it seems, kind of perfectly right now for Joe Biden. It seems like he's going to get Manchin, he's going to get Cinema, and he's going to be able to push this through in reconciliation, make positive change for the country, get credit for the bill, maybe even get a couple of Republicans who decide, you know what, the country needs this, and he's off and running and handling himself magnificently well, really well. Yeah, I think that internal... A structure within the White House is going to be a fascinating one because, you know, after 40 years of his career in the Senate and wanting, you know, his natural inclination is to look for bipartisanship. And that seems to be what we heard. But it seems that he also has an innate trust in the people that he has around him, 
like his chief of staff, Ron Klain, and, sure. and others. And his secretary of state. And, I mean, his right. team. Oh, yeah. His team. Yeah. So he has an innate trust in them. So when those GOP senators leave the room and he says, well, maybe we should, Klain and others are there to remind him, no, remember what happened here and get him back on track. Um, and, and him to say, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. I was, I was trying, but you're right. I mean, they came uh, with $600 billion, which sounds like a really good amount of money. Um, but the 1.9 trillion is going to, is, it looks like it's going to pass. They did all the amendments last night. It's going to the house. It'll come back to the Senate. He'll sign it. It'll be a really big deal. It will help people. It may help stimulate the economy. Uh, the Johnson and Johnson news about COVID-19 that a new vaccine may be coming out. A single dose vaccine is going to be very powerful, uh, and change, change the equation for our country. Uh, it may not be as effective as the other vaccines, but it will still keep people out of the hospital. And so it may not be as effective in keeping it, everyone from getting COVID-19, but it will lessen it tremendously. Uh, and it's only one dose as opposed to two doses. So there's a lot of good news on the Biden thing, do you think that this, the way things are going, bodes well or badly for the future of the republic if this $1.9 trillion goes forward? I think it goes, I think that bodes well. Now, remember, there's, there's still a lot of steps. The, the thing that was passed was a budget resolution, which just simply says, we agree to these contours uh, of this. Uh, they, but now you need the individual spending bills, which are multiple bills to, mm-hmm. for the $1.9 trillion. So still some work to do. But I would say as a first indication of how the, the, the Biden administration is going to handle bipartisanship uh, as an issue, is, is seems to be this is the right thing to do. We're willing to work with you around the edges on the right thing to do. But if you come in with the wrong thing to do, forget it. Right. And Georgia matters more than ever yeah. right now because those two seats really did turn the tide and and may be incredibly important. And Biden, again, he's like doing it with a smile and not like a creepy smile, but like like he's like, look, I'm, I'm trying to make it happen, but I got to save the country while I do it. I am I am very impressed with the beginning of the Biden administration when it comes to this. Let's move on now to what you call wither the Republican Party. Uh, what's your thoughts right now on the Republican Party and where they are with uh, Liz Cheney and Marjorie Taylor Greene? Yeah, so here we, we saw a tale of two Republican parties within the House of Representatives just in the past couple of days. Yep. So uh, so on removing Marjorie Taylor Greene, not from the House of Representatives, but just simply from her committee assignments. Right. So she doesn't have the opportunity to grandstand. Uh, on the Education and Labor Committee, and I forget what the other committee was that she was supposed to be on. But what did we get? Uh, 11 Republicans voted to remove Green from those committees? Yep. From that position? Yep. In public, right? So that's a public vote. In secret, however, on a vote on Liz Cheney, which was secret ballot. Secret ballot. Right. So Liz Cheney, remember, is the opposite. She's the one who voted to impeach uh, Donald Trump. Uh, she is the third in line in the House of Representatives in GOP leadership. So this was a vote to remove her from that leadership position, and she survived. Only 61, uh, 145 voted with her, 61 voted to get rid of her. But when we got to the public vote on Marjorie Taylor Greene, the 134 of those 145 who voted for Liz Cheney suddenly uh, got, you know, got a yellow streak down their back. And, and that's the not, problem with the Republican Party is, you I mean, know, what they think in, in private 
is not what they do in public because they're so afraid of this uh, the, the the psychopath faction in their party. It's, it's a disaster for the Republican Party. It, it, it's it's untenable. It will not hold in this way. Well, you, you, Mitt Romney's quote, right, uh, that uh, he was quoted as saying, our big tent, talking about the Republican Party, our big tent is not large enough to accommodate conservatives and kooks. And if he's right about that, which part ends up staying in the tent? <laughs> Kevin McCarthy said, uh, I'm going to give two quotes. This Republican Party is a very big tent. Everyone's invited in. You look at the last election, we continue to grow, and two years we'll be in the majority. That's what he said. And then he said, you know, this QAnon thing, which I don't even know what it is, taking a page out of the former President Trump's book saying, oh, I don't really know what QAnon is. Never heard of it. Yeah. Never heard of it. What a QAnon is what he called it. Are you kidding me? Yes. How stupid are we? How stupid are you that you don't know what that is at this point? You don't know what that is? And he does know what it is. Then you're it's, stupid. It's full of shit. Or how stupid do you think we are? Come on, man. You talk about you talk about a guy who just I mean, you could talk about Lindsey Graham being a snake and Lindsey Graham you know, flip-flopping whichever way he goes. He has no integrity, zero. Uh, people are talking about him being blackmailed. Only explanation, really, for Lindsey Graham at this point. Kevin McCarthy came out on the House floor January 13th and said that Donald Trump bears responsibility for the insurrection. Then comes and goes to Mar-a-Lago to sit and have a cup of tea? Come on, man. As, as our president would say, one of the moments that really touched me, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is a disgrace, just a disgrace of a human. Rashida Tlaib yesterday, as they were doing this thing, it's all, all the people showed on the nightly news, or not on the nightly news, on cable news last night, unfortunately. Rashida Tlaib got up and spoke, and I watched that this morning, and uh, basically... Uh, she wept as she spoke of the death threats to her and the death threats to her child. At that point, after she wept, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez walked over to her in the middle of her speech, put her hand on her back to show support for her. People may not agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on everything. They may think that the Green New Deal is too big. They may say that Medicare for All is going to bankrupt the country. Okay, you want to say that? That's fine. You have better, different plans? That's fine. The difference between empathy and war, the empathy of AOC and the war of Marjorie Taylor Greene, that's what we're talking about. What kind of world do we choose to live in? I, I, I watched Rashida Tlaib talk about her son. And I cried. My wife called minutes later and I wept on the phone with her because so many people have been living with this level of fear to a small extent. I've been living with that level of fear for these last four years. This has been a dangerous world that we've been living in. We must change it. It has to change. It has to change. Let's move on. Yeah, uh, hold on. But before I'm we sorry, do, I, 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 st I mean, this is really important because this is the direction of the party. And, and that was, um, you know, that exchange, the whole, the, the exchanges back and forth, um, on that vote on the, the psychopath from Georgia. Yeah, good. I'm good. Is, and, and, and you notice I'm not mentioning her name, um, yeah. is, uh, that 
you know, we're, again, we're talking about two different realities. So it goes back to the bipartisanship and whatever. But, you know, the, 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 what the Republicans have become, the, the Republicans on that wing of the party have become very good at is just creating this different reality that exists. Um, so that, you know, uh, for example, uh, these are things that she said in the past. They have no, uh, no uh, bearing on the present. They suddenly create this rally where, where we know that these folks are feeling danger just as, just today. We, we know we've seen things that she said recently that she said in her campaign, images that she put up. In fact, Steny Hoyer, yes. uh, the majority leader, walked around with a tweet from her campaign when she was running in the fall. With a picture of her with um, an automatic weapon, and then three members of the squad next to it. And Hoyer and said, "They're not the squad. They're not the squad. They are people. They are our colleagues." It was a very powerful. My favorite Sandy Hoyer moment. Yeah. And he said, "You know what? What are you supposed to think this means? This image? Tell me. You know." I right, so anyway, you know that's the problem. The thing that I wanted to talk about here, though, is, okay, so Mitt Romney says our tent is not big enough to accommodate conservatives and kooks. Kevin McCarthy basically says, yeah, you're right, so we're going to get more of the kooks in here so we can take the majority. Mm-hmm. And then what I want to talk about, though, is all that attention being paid to this woman. And we talked about even the media paying all this attention to this woman. Who weren't we talking about over the past 24 hours? Who are really dangerous within the Republican Party? That's Ted right. Cruz, Josh yep. Hawley, right? Yep. They are sitting there laughing to themselves right now I don't know if because, well, whatever. They're they're smug. They're they're they're, they're breathing a sigh of relief for twenty four hours. Right, but they're uh, with with a smugness because they're still out there saying crap. But why? Well, because. The more attention that's paid to this nut job takes the heat off of them and people forget about them this when cool they, in the end, are ultimately more dangerous for both the Republican Party and for the uh, Republic as a whole because they know what they're doing. They are <laughs> they are out there, you know, fanning these flames, knowing that. They're trying to, you know, trying to deceive the public. And you know what? I'm going to say something about the public. The people who are watching OANN, I think that's what it's called, less even so on Fox News, they're being fed this. They're being told this is the truth. I'm not saying that every person who believes this is a bad person. We can't move forward with that idea. This is, they're told that red is blue and they're believing it. And if I was if, if if I was in their shoes and I didn't have a different perspective, I might very well be. I can see an, uh, a world in which I might fall into that trap. And these are the people that are doing it. I will say I saw Newsmax and the My Pillow guy yeah, yeah. was on Newsmax. Did you happen to catch this? Yeah, Where- yeah. So explain it to, to folks. So they had uh, My Pillow guy on Newsmax, which is the other uh, ultra conservative thing that the that folks from who used to watch Fox are fleeing to right now. Uh, but they had him on to talk about getting kicked off of Twitter. But of course, he wanted to get he wanted to continue to talk about election fraud. And the anchor said, "You got to stop. 
we are saying Newsmax does not agree, which was shocking to us. You watch. know why they have to stop? Because Newsmax is under threat of lawsuits if they continue to allow their airwaves to be used for that. That's why they're well, saying it. Not well, because but the, the guy got up and group. left. Yeah. The anchor got up from the anchor desk and left and made that guy, my pillow guy, look like the punk that he is. Sorry, I'm being so pushy. Ooh, let's move on, please, to impeachment. Um, Patrick, lead us through this. What might happen? What should happen to best help the future of the republic? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to this. I mean, the answer to this question is a bipartisan conviction of Donald Trump and barring him from future office, which requires at least uh, all the re- Democrats and 17 uh, Republicans to agree to uh, the uh, impeachment conviction. At least I think the barring of office as a second step can be done with a majority. Right. But um, that's what should happen. All right. The, the likelihood of that happening is, is low. I, Mitch McConnell um, is keeping his powder somewhat dry on this because Mitch McConnell does not want Donald Trump to be a factor in the 2022 midterms when he tries to retake the Senate. As we know, Mitch McConnell only cares about two things in his entire life, which is uh, having a majority in the Senate and uh, and, and cramming uh, the federal bench with uh, conservative judges, or at least keeping liberal judges from being on the on the on that bench. Uh, so, there's so everything that he thinks about, including this upcoming impeachment vote, is filtered through that lens. Now, if if he thinks that you can nullify Donald Trump by impeaching him, uh, convicting him of, of the impeachment, and he thinks that he might be able to round up the 17 votes necessary to do it. That's the direction he will go. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, but I don't think that's going to happen. Because it's not going to happen. I don't and think he's going to be able to get the 17 votes. But if he could, I think he'd go in that direction. Yeah, in a, in a he won't be able to get there. Um, and But here's the upside for the Democrats in all this. Trump is going to have full control of the party, and he's going to put a litmus test out, and it's the Trump litmus test. Do you fully support me? And if you don't, he's going to fully back whoever is to primary these. So you're going to have from Pennsylvania, you're going to have someone in 2022 who is a QAnon person. You're going to have more of the people like the woman from Atlanta. I'm not going to use her name anymore either. And what could end up happening is just an absolute sweep. We've talked about this I personally think this is going to be the first midterm election. Of course, there's so many things that can happen. So many things can change. But I believe this is going to be one of the first in a very long time where the Democrats are going to gain seats in the House and gain seats in the Senate. I really do believe that. I think that that's how it's all going to play out. And while I won't make that prediction, I can see the roadmap for how that would happen. And how that would happen is this. As you said. Uh, the Republicans nominate more um, kooks and uh, anti-democratic uh, folks. Uh, and also, if Donald Trump is still a presence in the party in 2022 and he's still Which controlling the party, yep. one of the things that we know, because this is one of the reasons why the polling was off in 2016 and 2020, mm-hmm. is that there is a segment of the electorate that has – turned itself off from all institutions, has total distrust in institutions, but cultish trust in Donald Trump. But they only come out for Donald Trump. Yep. However, on the other side, there are a number of people who hadn't come out in elections before 
who have come out because they're anti-Trump and what Trump is doing to the country. Those people continue to come out. They came out in the 2018 midterms. They came out in the Georgia runoff in January. So they'll still be, if, if Donald Trump is still a figure, they will still come out in 2022. That's the roadmap. That combination of things is the roadmap for which Democrats could potentially gain seats in the midterm. And, and also, so, so you're right. So I see, I see that. Well, yeah, I, I, I won't make the prediction. prediction like you. No, will. I know, but I will. I'll make that prediction. Yeah. I'm making that prediction now. It is, but it's, it's not. It's not fifth. an. It's not a, a a prediction that anybody should just dismiss out of hand because the elements are there for that to be possible. Also, Marjorie Taylor Greene. See, I did it. I did it. I, I said her name again. She's going to be every person who voted for her to keep her committee. Every single person, maybe not Meyer, who we're going to talk about later. Other than Meyer, every single person in the ads that the Democrats run are going to put her picture next to that congressperson and say, this is who he's, this person supports. And yeah, because you know there's, she's going to do something even worse in the coming days. And, they're, well, they're going to show images of the insurrection that was less than a month ago. But what I'm saying is that she's going to do something worse in the coming days and that anybody who supported her in that vote is responsible. Yes, 100% responsible. She, somebody wrote, and I was like, well, I'm not sure about all that. Someone said that she is now, that person, the, um, the face of the Republican Party. And I went, well, that seems a little heavy, blah, blah, blah. You no, know, she is. She's the face of the Republican Party. And she will be the face of the Republican Party. And she's going to have more people like her running in the Republican Party. It's going to become not the exception, but almost the rule the Democrats are going to clean up. I say that now. Let's move on to polling because you were a pollster, not just a pollster. You are the number one pollster, still as ranked by 538. Yeah, I don't know how long, much longer that's going to last, but well, yeah, we'll, 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 we're, we'll we're going go it, it to go with that for now. Um, you've done quite a bit of polling over the course of the last two weeks. Part of the reason why we did not have a show last week, it's going to happen. Everybody, sorry. I know I had people reaching out. Yo, where's the show? Sorry. But we, we're busier than ever, both of us. Um, but let's talk about Biden's first days and what the polling is telling you, my friend. Uh, well, you mentioned already that 68%, I forget whose poll that was. That wasn't my poll, but 68% supports uh, the bailout, the, the, the COVID uh, stimulus. Uh, we're finding in our poll that, uh, we had a 54% approve, 30% disapprove. Pretty um, good. Wow. Yeah. And 16% no opinion at this point, which means he's, he's made an impression and a positive one. So he's already got better approval ratings than Donald Trump had in his entire four years of office. Absolutely. With a lot of people still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, how does that, wait, wait, quick question. How does that relate to where Barack Obama was two weeks into his Barack Obama was higher. He was above 60% uh, came okay. in. Um, if you, and this is the thing that, that again, we're talking about Ron Klain and, and the folks around um, uh, Biden need to remember is that there was a lot of hope for Barack Obama when he came into office. There was this, this sense that we had turned a page in, in our country, that our country had somehow matured. Uh, and there was only the diehard, basically racists or, or, you know, ultra conservative on issue stances wouldn't give him the benefit of the doubt when he came into office. Mitch McConnell, of course, made sure within weeks, and the, this was all about that stimulus bill that we've just talked about, made sure that he undercut any public faith in him on the right. And so his, his numbers dropped very quickly. So two weeks in, Biden is doing not as well as Obama did, but I have a feeling that 
two months or four months in, Biden will probably be better than Obama was. Okay. That we'll, we will check in back on that. Now on to impeachment. Um, you have polling on impeachment related to the impeachment of a year ago. Yeah. So there's just slightly more support this time than there was for the first impeachment what are the numbers? By, by the time we got this. So we got 56% who support the impeachment huh. 50. Yeah, 53% to 52% support the conviction. 56% want to see him um, barred from office. We did explain to some of those folks that uh, didn't want him him, uh, convicted that you have to convict him first before you can bar him. So some of them did change their mind when they understood how this all works. So you you do have it's, uh, you know, around 55% who support convicting him on That's impeachment. That's way different. We, uh, I remember a year ago us doing these numbers and it was 51%. No, yeah, well, 40, it was actually, I think, 49% on the conviction. So that's higher, but, you it's know, it's not like... higher, no? It's not, yeah, eh, I, I don't think six points musters a, a huge difference because you okay. still have a chunk of four and 10 who say don't do it. Now, some of them is because they're diehard Trump Sure. Folks. Yeah. And some others don't simply say, you know, it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. I get that. Um, and, and if you don't pay attention to politics closely, and most people don't um, pay attention to politics closely, you do want to move on. They don't really fully comprehend how much damage has been to the underpinnings of our our, our republic. It sounds, also like, it sounds also like they're, when, when we see the impeachment next week, I think it's next week, uh, that when we start to see it, they're going to not just talk about the speech beforehand, but his actions while the riot was happening. Yeah. That, that his lack of action and stopping um, action at that time is, is certainly going to play. I, I, think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch, especially Jamie Raskin, who just had the tragedy of losing a child standing up there and one thing that was so powerful that he said was in 2021, I'm not going to lose my child and my Republic in the same year. It's like, all right, well, you know, God bless him. Yeah. And one thing we, one thing we didn't mention uh, this week was, um, uh, the remains of, uh, uh, Brian's, uh, Sicknick, uh, the Capitol police officer lying in state in the, in, uh, the Capitol rotunda. And just what a powerful image that was, particularly when the Bidens uh, came in yep. and you saw yep. Joe Biden just shaking his head at the memorial as, and you could, you could read his mind, which was, this should never have happened. This is just yeah. ridiculous. Unbelievable. Now we're moving on to the COVID-19 and, uh, you have a partisan split here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is really important. Um, this is, you know, so, uh, of all the polling questions that we, <laughs> that we ask and everybody wants to know what's the job approval rating, what's impeachment, but the stuff that we're re- revealing on COVID and, and basically underpinnings of our Republic are, are really important COVID. So, you know, like, has it impacted you? Joe Biden doing a good job? Sure. Those things are there and we've seen concern going up right now as we're getting into these stages of the vaccine coming out. And one of the questions that we asked though, that was really important was, What's your likelihood of getting the vaccine? Um, so between those who have already gotten the vaccine and those who say they'll be first in line, we've got a majority, 56%. Then we got another 19% to say, look, I'd like to see a couple other people get it first before I you know, jump in myself, which probably is fair because that will probably happen. So they'll know. Mm-hmm. But then we have 24% who said, I would try to avoid this vaccine if I can. They, they say they'll likely never get it if they can avoid getting it. So that's one in four Americans. Now, there's a lot of talk out there about 
cultural differences. Like, uh, so uh, African-American community is more reticent about getting the vaccine. And we find that more of them are in the I'll wait and see category than in the I'll be at the front of the line category. But they're not more likely to be in the category of I'll never get this than white Americans are. Just, you know, there's a slight difference, not statistically significant. What we found is where the the significant difference is, is what party do you belong to? If you Mm -hmm. identify with Republicans versus if you identify with Democrats. If If you identify with Democrats, one in 10 say, I don't want to get this vaccine. If you identify with Republicans, four in 10 say, I will never get this vaccine. Four times as many Republicans. Sure. So when we when we control for party ID and, and the, the kind of those race issues disappear, the ra- you know age disappears. It's all about what dogma do you adhere to? What mm-hmm. information or misinformation do you allow to fill up your brain? That's what it all boils down to. So we, you got, we have a, we're going to have a public health we have a public health crisis and we'll continue to have a public health crisis because of this mask wearing vaccines because of partisanship that's just amazing yeah and uh, you know 75 they say that herd immunity you need 75 to 80 percent that's what uh dear anthony fauci says i say dear anthony fauci because i just found a cool picture of me and anthony fauci which i really like a lot um but uh but that's 25 percent people aren't going to do it we're still at 75 percent my question is how much does america need to pay for people who don't get the vaccine do you understand what I'm saying? Right, right. Like if you if you choose say, you know what, I'm good. I don't want the vaccine. I'm going to just r- run with it and roll with it. Do people need to be taken care of in that same way? You know what I'm saying? Like the people who refuse to wear a mask, should they get the same care that people who do wear a mask? I'm asking. I'm, I'm actually not even giving an opinion on it. But maybe by asking the question, I'm giving some. Right. some, some right. should, should they have the same access to care? Yeah, should they have the same access to care? Like okay. if, if you if you say, no, I don't want it. All right, well, now we're going to have to spend $50,000 because you wouldn't do it. I, look, and I, I have people who I care for and who I love who don't want to take the vaccine. Really, it's true. Um, and I, I try to implore them and I say it's really it's not just about you. It's about how the virus is going to shift and change and it becomes more dangerous for everybody. But it's hard. It's hard to tell people yeah, so that they have to do something. The one cool thing about this and from a polling perspective that, that I'll just mention before we move on is uh, so we released this poll on Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock, which happened to be the same time that the White House uh, COVID task force was holding their press briefing that day. So they talked for about 15 minutes or so and then opened it up to reporters question. And the first reporter question was a mammoth poll just came out that said 24% won't get the vaccine. So how it's do you respond you, right? to that? Yeah. So that, I mean, and that's exactly why we do, why we do this. This is, these are important, uh, questions about, about our, our society. And our, and in this case, it's about public health. In fact, we had a, I had a group reach out to me that is, looking to encourage people and that's their, their job is to encourage people to get the vaccines. And they wanted more details on what the motivation was of these, these one in four Americans. What can, you know, what can they learn about them to try to overcome some of that uh, vaccine reticence? So that's what, that's the important stuff that we end up doing. And that's why we're lucky to have Patrick Murray on the show every week. All right, well, let's move on to our hot take segment where we'll take 90 seconds to discuss some other topics in the news. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next topic. So, Patrick, first one comes to me. Yeah. So, Ian, you convinced me 
to uh, include that Ben Sass quote at the top of the show. So what was that all about? Well, all right. So, you know, we, uh, we typically I pick the the quotes. Sometimes Patrick is kind enough to give me, um, you know, th- maybe we'll go with this one. And he gave me a great one, which we're going to use in a future show. I thought since we spent so much time talking about Ben Sass, it was worth noting. Um, and something Justin talked about on the show and that my mom kind of gave me kind of a hard time about was that this possibility that it was good that Ben Sass held in, stayed in the Senate. Well, now it kind of looks that way because he is coming out, not kind of small, but huge. The Nebraska Republican Party wanted to censure him for his impeachment uh, vote that suggested that it's that they should move forward with the impeachment. And he basically came out and said what he said that I used at the top of the show. I just want to tip my cap to Ben Sass. He's got six more years and we can, he's never been guardian of the week. He will probably never be guardian of the week because he never put his neck out in the same way that other people have and other people will. But it should be noted that he is being Robin to Mitt Romney's Batman right now. It took him a little while, but I, I, I think he, it was worth a note. What do you think, Patrick? Yeah, I think so. This is a five minute video he put together in response to that uh, censure uh, the situation that's probably going to happen in his state party. Uh, and he basically said, go ahead and censure me. He said, because look, here's the deal. <laughs> and the clarity of what he said within those five minutes of what you read an excerpt at the top was just stunning. We need to hear more of that. We really just need to hear more of that kind of just clarity of, of purpose uh, from Republicans. Yes. And it's something that we are, that, that he, he's out there leading the charge. I mean, he at this point and one can expect that he's going to continue to do so as he moves forward he it's the reason why i always it was the reason why i was so pained because i knew that this is what he was i knew that this is what was going on inside of him um but so to see to to see him make this change is is certainly very positive okay next one we're moving on now to the Space Force and a question that was asked of the of the uh, new press secretary. And do you have any thoughts about that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Jen's uh, Bloomberg reporter asked Jen Psaki, the press secretary, about what Biden's plans were for the Space Force. And she kind of made fun of it. So Space Force is this is the next uh, kind of airplane question referring to somebody we asked about the, the color scheme on Air Force One. And the reporter came back and said, oh, but this is an interesting question. She said, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But she kind of still was dismissive. Then the reporter goes on. This is what I'm going for. The reporter goes on uh, Twitter. She ridiculed this question of mine that I asked. Now, this reporter is a Bloomberg reporter, economics, who's focusing on uh, the financial impact of coronavirus. He wastes his one question in the press briefing on the Space Force. So I kind of agree with her in that sense that this is what you're asking me about with all the things that are going on. That's the top of mind thing. So this goes back to our things that we were talking about, about, you know, the, the coverage on all day Thursday, wall to wall, missed uh, the Biden stuff. The, you know, the focus, I think, is off. What do you think? I, I tend to agree. And, and she, she had to come back out the next day and say that she did support the Space Force, uh, which is originally what I was like, oh, maybe they're getting rid of the Space Force. They're not going to keep the Space Force. But it really was a, a situation where the, the reporter wasn't asking perhaps the best question that he could have in that spot. And it sort of suggests uh, what we're talking about earlier, as you said, that that the, the media needs to kind of figure out 
not everyone and, and no one, you know, we're not, we're not taking a shot at everybody in the media, but th- th- these are these are different rules and this is a different way of moving forward. Okay, so speaking about reporters, Lauren Wolf, who is a, a editor at the New York Times, came out with a tweet uh, and it was January 19th, the day before uh, the inauguration, as Joe Biden was landing his plane in Washington, D.C., she tweeted that she had chills seeing that happen, which I think I certainly had that experience. She was then fired after it was a big sort of cancel culture experience for her. What do you think of that whole situation? And do you think it was wrong of the Times to release her? Or do you think it's wrong for reporters to express their feelings? Well, I think this is the larger question is that we have a lot of reporters on Twitter who have like created their own brand identity through social media um, outside of what they're doing. And I think that there was a, uh, a good piece and I can't remember now who wrote it. Um, I think it might've been Ben Smith from the post, but anyway, you know, which reporters should tweet. And I think there's some of them that may, for whom it makes sense. There's these kind of these Hunter Thompson style reporters for whom that kind of makes sense to, to put yourself out there. But then there are others like Maggie Haberman from, um, the New York times. Well, I went to high think school with. Right. Who think it might make it really, I didn't know that. Yeah. But I, but I think we'd be better for together. somebody of a heard not to make as, as many comments because there's others who have clearly a, a point of view, uh, you know, that, that, that they get out there and, and to social media helps them. There are others where you ask the question, well, why is this person tweeting? Because they have all this access and it, it, I think it undermines their credibility. And I, so I think it depends on what kind of reporter you are. I think that's probably true. I mean, if you look at Jake Tapper, he's pretty clear about how he feels about. And, you know, if you look at these sort of journal personality journalists, uh, it's a little bit of a different experience. Right. If you watch Anderson Cooper at night, there is no question. Rachel Maddow, there's no question about where they stand on issues. But then when you have sort of older school reporters, journalists who are in the journalism game, it becomes, I guess, a bit of a slippery slope. Uh, it always makes me uncomfortable when I see reporters who I, I who I think are, you know, sort of hold themselves to that standard and when they when they make it slippery. So it's a little tricky. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So moving on, uh, our next topic. So Joe Walsh has been pretty active on Twitter and no social surprise. media and his podcast recently as he has been for a while, but really is, is now he's, he's giving advice to Democrats. And I think you have something, you you probably have some thoughts about that. Yeah. Well, first thing I want to say is a couple of weeks ago, uh, you said that Joe Walsh was a friend of mine and I sort of dismissed him as well. I wouldn't say that we're friends. I, I, we're not like buddy, like you and I are friends, Justin and I are friends, Joe Walsh and I aren't friends, but we certainly have been in communication for a long period of time. And I like him and I appreciate him. And I think that what he did for the country was invaluable for whatever it's worth, 13,000 votes in Wisconsin or 11,000, you know, 11,000 votes in Georgia. Maybe he did make a difference. He, so he put out something on Twitter four days ago talking about, I'm not a Democrat, but I have a point of view for Democrats that I think they need to understand if they want to keep winning elections and if they want to start winning elections. What he said was that people in the working class, the white working class, people of color in the working class, they're afraid of losing their jobs. And the Keystone Pipeline, that that being the first thing that Biden kind of executive ordered away, he said it was 9,000 good jobs, right? But what he said was it's not just that the 9,000 people who've lost their jobs, what it does is it destabilizes everyone else into thinking that they're going to lose their jobs. And that's a different experience for me. I always thought when we're talking about jobs, jobs about creating new jobs, Walsh says something very different. He's saying it's about making sure that people who have the jobs 
jobs that they have that they like that they aren't going to go away. This, this that, is something this is something that, that we've been seeing since uh, the last economic downturn. So this is over 10 years. And we've been seeing it in our polling is that the recovery that we saw over the last 10 years was a recovery without real confidence, that there wasn't really a public confidence in the recovery. And I think uh, I think what he's hitting on is a different way of saying that the Repub Democratic Party has been missing the boat in terms of talking about that. And it, look, to give before we move on, to give Joe Walsh his credit, he does have a point of view that is interesting. And you should follow him on Twitter and sort of see what he's got going on. Moving on to Boris Johnson and the UK being ahead of every large country on vaccine rate. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just looked at the numbers uh, they put out this morning. They've uh, vaccinated over 11 million people out of 60 million, I think, uh, or so in, in Britain. Got, got their first vaccine. I think, that, what's that, 16 17%, something like that. Um, so there's no other country that, that's come close. Boris Johnson is looking like he's more competent than Angela Merkel is right now. And what I, I think is really fascinating about this, we used to think about Boris Johnson as just simply like kind of a lesser clone of Donald Trump. But here we see, in the end, there are people out there who, you know, uh, you know, fan the flames of, of populism and try to, uh, you know, divide uh, the country in order to win elections. But then can can at least show some level of competence, some level of understanding that that there are times when you need to bring the country together. That's what's really fascinating me about uh, watching Boris Johnson through all this. Also, you know, he had the experience of having the disease himself, and that's got to bring you. Well, so, so did a, another world leader in not too far <laughs> away from us, right? So, <laughs> fair point. <laughs> do you think it's a political thing that he's doing this for, or do you think it's just sort of a character thing for him, where he's like, "No, I'm I'm going to be better than I was," and actually, that doesn't seem to work. It didn't work in America, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a different perspective on Ten Downing Place. I think it's both. I mean, I think you, you can't take politics out of any of these guys' calculation, right? But I, I mean, you look at it, and you might not get all the way there, but you got to think that there's a character thing there. there. There's something deep down inside. They say, you know, I, yeah, I need to do the right thing here. I really well, do think that. Yep. All right. Um, oh, so this just came across the wire uh, a, a few hours before we recorded this on Friday afternoon. Uh, so Trump uh, resigned from the Screen Actors Guild. In a crazy looking letter. What do you think of that as a yeah. fellow member of the Screen Actors Guild? I am very much a member of the Screen Actors Guild and former President Trump um, says, well, I'm not familiar with your work. I'm very proud of my work on movies such as Home Alone 2, Zoolander and Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. Let me tell you something. As an actor, if you want to start throwing your credits out there, don't start with Home Alone 2. Which actually isn't a terrible movie. But if that's what he's basically saying, you want to get rid of me? Well, screw you. I'm going to get rid of you. It's it's perfect Donald Trump. Well, here's what I say back, okay, as a member. And I'm stealing this from a very good friend of mine who's on the SAG board, an actor named Ezra Knight, who's a wonderful actor. And this is what he wrote back. And I saw it on, on Facebook, which is how I saw this. He wrote back, good riddance. Speaking on behalf of maybe 75% of the SAG-AFTRA uh, membership in our country and around the world, good riddance, pal. Never yeah. missed you. Never will. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, his, his letter, now remember, he, I guess there was some disciplinary committee hearing that was being scheduled about yeah, revoking his membership. Yeah, because there's an so, on our Capitol on January yeah. 6th. Yeah, that's why. Right, right. So, so he wanted to get out in front of this, but like... Uh, one of the lines in there was, 
about him helping cable news, which was a dying business before he got into you politics. Right about that. <laughs> I mean, I spoke earlier about the fact that, you know, you don't have to watch. I, I'm not watching Morning Joe anymore because it's like I don't need to. And I'm going to spend that time listening to some music. OK, let's move on to a much more interesting and happier topic. Let's talk about our first dogs in the White House back. We have dogs back in the White House um, and they are champ and major. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, the pictures of them uh, romping in the snow uh, earlier in the week, uh, just, you know, I, I, again, a sense of, you know, normalcy. This is who we are. This is, I can identify with this. I, I get this. I understand this. Um, and, you know, there, there's, there's, uh, I, I just read something where uh, Champ and Major have uh, Oval Office privileges, meaning that they don't have to make an appointment. They can just walk in the door. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, our dog Buddy has, has Ian office privileges. Um, he has all privileges. You know, interestingly, when I was a kid, I loved dogs. Didn't realize I was deathly allergic to dogs. I spent my whole life blowing my nose between the ages of like four and 13 or 16. Um, and didn't realize until I went away to college that, oh, actually, people don't sneeze 20 times a day. And that's just me. And what ended up happening for me is that I ended up kind of being afraid of dogs a little bit. Just like, yeah, no, no, no. Well, then we got a hypoallergenic dog. Uh, his name is Buddy. And he's changed our life so much for the better. I don't sneeze. I don't blow my nose. And having a dog, again, is a really wonderful way to live your life, especially in this COVID-19 world. He brings so much joy to everybody in the family. So anyway, that's uh, that, that, that's the that, that that's my family's uh, dog. And Buddy is his name. And your dog? Yeah, my dog, I got an old dog um, who's, you know, uh, down and out a little bit. Uh, you know, she has, she needs help to, to walk with. Uh, mm -hmm. She's over 14 years old now, but she's, you know, she's just been a love, you know. So, uh, you know, she deserves all the attention that she's getting right now for all that she's given us for 14 years of her life so far. Wonderful. Now, moving on to everyone's favorite time of the show, it's time to bring in our producer, Justin Mason. Uh, Justin, welcome. Do you have any thoughts on what we were talking about earlier in the show? Well, I mean, I've got a few thoughts. I'd first like to say that I don't have a dog, uh, and that makes me sad. Uh, and my wife has said that I'm not allowed to get a dog until our youngest is out of diapers because she's not cleaning up poop from more than one thing at a time. <laughs> very good very fair yeah, and knowing that, your wife that is that is that makes sense knowing your wife as i do i know she does you know make that decision and i tip my hat to her and bow my head as i should continue yes <laughs> um so the one thing i wanted to kind of just kind of briefly talk about and this is just a warning uh i think uh you know we saw yesterday of the, the stripping of uh a certain uh congress members committees uh, and, and the Republican uh, leader uh, talked in his just rambling speech. He mentioned one thing that I think is hopefully not foreboding, but could be that this is a step that could have consequences if the Republican Party decides to retaliate once they're in the majority. Yeah. And I think that is a dangerous precedent. Uh, I think this should have been worked out behind closed doors uh, by Nancy Pelosi and the Republican leadership. Uh, so that way there wouldn't be some sort of uh, we're going to get you back here in a few years uh, for, for doing something like this publicly. So 
I, I hope I'm wrong, but this feels awfully similar to uh, Democrats lowering um, the threshold for votes for, for things like judges and then it coming back to bite them later on. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, just uh, I'm, I'm there a bit with you. Uh, and the problem is that uh, McCarthy is a little bit disingenuous, but we don't know what happened behind closed doors there in terms of what was uh, Nancy Pelosi willing to do? What was McCarthy willing to do? I mean, obviously, a few uh, just a year ago, they stripped Steve King of his committee memberships mm-hmm. because of racial racist comments that he made. I have a feeling that part of this was a calculation that's let's make the Democrats do this so then we can blame them. And that seems to be the idea is that, yeah, most of us, hey, we'd like to kick uh, we'd like to kick uh, her off these committees. Most of the Republicans probably felt that way. But if we can make the Democrats do it, we get her off the committees, plus we score political points. And that's what I, I think we're, you know, we're, we're in this situation right now. The same thing uh, that McConnell is talking about using reconciliation for the COVID bill is that this you will come to regret this. Well, the Republicans used reconciliation to pass the tax bill in 2017. They tried to use reconciliation to overturn uh, the Affordable Care Act, and it was John McCain who said no to that. Uh, so, you know, everybody says this is the time when this started, and therefore you will have a price to pay because you started this fight. No, this this fight actually started 25 years ago. <laughs> so every time we're we're like kind of reinventing the the the, the starting point for this. Because the starting point was 25 years ago. Everything that we're seeing right now is not the starting point. It's just a continuation of it. That's the problem is that it's never going to stop until somebody just simply comes in and says stop. Well, maybe we'll see that. And hopefully we're going to find a way forward that will work for us all moving on now. Thank you, Justin, to our guardian of the week. This is where uh, a member of the political world uh, steps forward and does something outside of their own political interest. And uh, this week uh, I made the nomination, which you quickly agreed to happily. I think you were a little annoyed that I said it first. Adam Kinzinger. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah. So Adam Kinzinger is a Five-term congressman from Illinois. Uh, he's in a safe uh, Republican district in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, he's voted with Donald Trump 90% of the time, but he was one of the first uh, in Congress to denounce QAnon and its influence on the party. Did that back over the summer. And he was the first congressional Republican to call for Trump to be removed from office after that January 6th um, uh, riot. Uh, he said, you know, you should be removed by the 25th Amendment now. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, he's really, he's really put himself out there. He's never faced a serious primary challenge. Uh, there's talk he might even run for Senate in Illinois in 2022. Uh, but you know, he set himself up as, as a, as a prime target for the QAnon wing of his party. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unquestionably. And I mean, he voted for, uh, he, he wanted seven minutes from the Democrats. They didn't give him, they offered him a minute. Uh, in discussing the impeachment, um, he he's someone who you got to tip your hat to because mm-hmm. he he's putting himself in real danger. And he was he, he was the first Republican on Thursday to cast a vote to kick uh, that woman off her committees. 
Yeah, so he's playing it straight, man. And I, I actually think there may be a Lisa Murkowski future for him as an independent in that in that district. I can see Democrats voting for him because he's he's a good Republican. I mean, he speaks truth to power in every way. As your as your honorable mention, yeah, I do have put, an honorable mention. Go for on this. Uh, so Peter Meyer from um, Michigan. I think from the Grand Rapids area there, he's, this is his first term. So he's only been in Congress now for a few weeks. Um, but he has voted in favor of the impeachment of, of Donald Trump. Uh, he's done a town hall to go in front of his constituents to talk about it. So he's defended, he's been willing to get out there and defend himself for this and explain why he is now, you know, he, you know, he's not a hundred percent pure. If you're going to apply a purity test to him, I think he voted against removing, uh, what's her name from, from the committees. And, and he could have reasons for that. So I, but here's, here's another one who has probably even more, um, to lose. He's, he's more at risk because he's a first termer, you know, he's in his first yeah. term and in terms of the primary challenge from Justin, Amash, he's in Justin Amash's seat. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? You know what I mean? That part of Michigan, uh, has a more independent streak. It seems I, I was very impressed by him. I remember the first time I saw him on TV, he's got shock, a shock of red hair. I don't and even a know. Beard. Yeah, like, shock of, yeah. Is that the right expression to call it? I mean, does it need to be like big and out of place? Um, no. but he, he does have like a shock of red hair and, um, and he certainly made his presence known. He is also dealing with, uh, threats against his life. So it's, it's serious. It's a serious situation. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I wish we weren't dealing with such things, but we're grateful for our two Guardians of the Week this week. Well, our Guardian of the Week and an honorable mention in Adam Kinzinger and Peter Meyer. Hey, how about this? They are the Batman and Robin of the house. Hey. There you go. All right. All right. So that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. If you have any comments or thoughts for the show, please reach out to us on Twitter at Guardians OTR. And please remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes of your on your favorite podcast app. Give us a rating and tell your friends and family so others can find us. And also, if you want to catch up on some of our past episodes, check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back with a new episode soon. Thank you, Justin. See ya.